hello. Hello. Hi. How are we? Very Great. good. You know, I was pretty good, and then the other day I dropped my water bottle, and it got dented on the bottom, and now it wiggles. Mine does that too. It's quite unfortunate. So that's the life I'm living right now. First world problems. Here's the thing, folks. Uh, hello and welcome to a non-numbered, very special episode of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch a movie and then talk about it, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this year's podcast, and I am currently overcoming a head cold. So if I sound nasally, that's because I can't breathe through my nose. Oh, the joy. I am joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. That's me. And at Becca's right and my left, due to the circular nature of our table, by Sid. Hey, the table's not circle. Well, it's it's, it's ovular. It's a stretched circle. Hey, this is a question. When I said ovular just now, that made me think, are ovaries called ovaries because they are ovular? <laughs> and are they ovular? From the pictures I've seen, yes, they are ovular. Is it ovular? Is that the right? I don't know. Listen, don't I'm not a biologist. Me. I don't know these things. Well, it'd be more of a um, etymologist. Let's see. We're gonna find out here, folks. How to say ovular? Oh, I thought you were looking up the ovary thing. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Here we go. Come on, Emma, say it. Ovular. What's that? Ovular. Ovular. Riveting stuff. That seems to indicate. Ovular. That's the. Uh, there you go. The more you know, folks. Okay. All right. Today we're stoked. <laughs> we're excited. We're in a good mood uh, because we're talking about our favorite movies of the year 2019. It's no surprise, well, no secret, rather, uh, that this has been a fantastic year for film. Um, there's been a number of films that uh, were surprising, others that actually lived up to the hype. And we're going to go through our favorites of the year right now. Um, here's how the show's going to work. We are going to talk about some of our, uh, we're going to have our own little mini Oscars here, um, where we have several categories that we have decided based on the categories that we find most interesting and fun to talk about. And we have each chosen a winner for that category, and we're going to have a chance to talk about it in this show. Following that, we have our, uh, ranked top 10 list. Uh, this is... Basically, what we did is we all ranked our top 10 movies of the year, assigned them a point value. Your number 10 pick uh, gets one point. Your number one pick gets 10 points. We add up all the points and end up with a bunch of ties. So we then sub-rank them, and we end up with our very own top 10 list. So we're going to go through that after our bonus categories, and that's how it's going to work. Yes. All right. <laughs> I was just looking for some sort of confirmation. Make sure I'm not alone here. Yeah. Yeah. We are here. You're not talking to yourself. I'm not. We're excited about this. Okay, <laughs> folks. Let's just jump right in. Um, 
Oh, one more bit of housekeeping. Next week will be our actual Oscars coverage. Uh, we will be working our way... Ooh, be working our way through uh, all of the categories, except for the ones that we don't care about, um, or ones that we are not qualified to speak on. I, for example, don't think that I have seen any of the animated movies, or shorts, or documentaries, <laughs> or live action shorts, or documentary shorts. So all of those I can't speak to, but everything else I can, because I've seen most of it. Um, and I'm going to do my best to spend the next week getting a few things caught up. I need to see Judy because apparently she's just going to win. Um, and I need to see the two popes. And then past that, I am not going to see Richard Jewell. So sorry, Kathy Bates. Uh, but yeah, there we go. So that's how that's going to work. And that's a bit of housekeeping. And now we can actually just talk about how great movies were this year. Yay. Um, so let's do it. Which category should we just start at the top? Yeah, let's do it. it. All right, we're going to start here with our biggest surprise. This is a movie that we didn't necessarily expect to enjoy, but we found quite delightful. Uh, Sid, why don't you kick us off? Okay, Um, so I chose two for this one. Um, I chose Knives Out not because I didn't think it was going to be a good movie. Like, just based off uh, the stacked cast, like, I knew it was going to be a good movie, but I wasn't really prepared for, like how intricate the script was and just the plot line and how everything just twisted and turned and um the performances were great and yeah it was just really really fun um yeah Yeah, i i did not have faith in ryan johnson after the last jedi um which in hindsight i've actually come to feel more positive towards especially after the giant mess that is episode nine um but I, I just didn't have a lot of faith in Ryan Johnson, but dude turned out for this. He did a really good job. I think uh, Knives Out for me landed just outside of my top 10, mm-hmm. but it was it was quite fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Ana de Armas was a treat. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig, um, between this and Logan Lucky, Daniel Craig should just always have a Southern drawl. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I loved Knives Out. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It's one of the few movies that I, I saw this year and genuinely really enjoyed that I also told my parents to go see. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so another, my other movie that was a big surprise for me was Ready or Not. And unfortunately, that was one that I loved and told my parents to watch and watched it with them. And I have never been so keenly aware of every single F word. <laughs> Like every single time someone said the F word, like someone in my family was like, oh my gosh. That would be happening pretty constantly in that movie. Yeah. There (laughs) are a large amount of F words that I did not realize the first time watching it. But that being said, I like that movie was super fun. It was more fun than I expected. Like I knew it was just going to be kind of like a goofy kind of murder slasher, but it was just, it was funny and it was interesting and there were some surprises in it. The acting was pretty solid, like nothing horrible. Yeah, she was, uh, it's Hugo Weaving's daughter, right? Is it? Yeah, Samara Weaving. Um, the like toned Elrond? down version yeah. of uh, Margot Robbie. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I guess that was going to be my next point is that uh, I, I found her to be surprisingly not a Margot Robbie clone in this movie. Uh, like she looks like her? But she doesn't really act Yeah, like, like the it. trailers definitely threw me off. But uh-huh. then as soon as I got into the movie, I was like, oh, she definitely has her own style. Yeah. And yeah, those are the, the big surprises for me this year. 
And you shared one of those, right, Becca? Yes. Um, Ready or Not. I had two big surprises, but Ready or Not was definitely one of them. And kind of same as Sid, I went into it expecting it to be something like um, uh, Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. (laughs) (laughs) The proper title of that film. Yes, yes. Something that was just like obviously stupid, but fun to watch. And I was very surprised because it wasn't stupid. And it was fun to watch. It was a blast. Yeah. Uh, I guess not to get too spoilery, but when the freaking maid in the dumbwaiter, oh. that just got me go. I was cracking up at that. And then especially Jeez. the ending is just phenomenal. Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah. It was very good. I was very surprised. Yeah. And I just looked up. She is the niece of Hugo Weaving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. No. Still, still, still an industry plant. It's still pretty cool. <laughs> right. Hey, Uncle Elron. Can I get a movie? <laughs> he's like, sure, no problem. And then he just like went up to the producers like in his red face makeup from Captain right? America. And he's like, like, okay. Okay, we have this movie. And she's like, oh, this will work. <laughs> um, I also had as my biggest surprise, Little Women. I, I was excited for that movie. But I definitely was not prepared for the emotional roller coaster that that movie took me on. And I don't really cry in movies, but there were real tears. Like full on. I've never seen you ugly cry in a movie. And that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was a rough go for me. Um, So good. And everybody's amazing in it. Everyone. So my uh, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about this more later. Uh, this movie will not come up just this once. It is also my pick for biggest surprise, uh, mostly because I don't get into movies like that. If you look at my top five, it's all like, hey, let's take the main character on just like a journey through hell and like see if they can come out emotionally unscathed. And they never do. Um, I'm like, I'm usually, if, if I don't come out of a movie with like an existential crisis, I'm then I'm feeling bad. But... <laughs> This movie was just like, again, we'll talk about it later, but holy cow. Like, I was not ready for how much I enjoyed this movie. And uh, past that, not even just raw enjoyment, because like I enjoyed like what you guys are talking about, Knives Out and Ready or Not. And I enjoyed um, Endgame and a bunch of these movies that I just had a blast watching. But like, what a phenomenal piece of film this movie is. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we'll get into it, but like just past raw enjoyment, like it's, it's really, it's a phenomenal movie. It really is. Cool. So that's our biggest surprises. Uh, Knives Out, Ready or Not, and Little Women. Great. Uh, let's move on to the opposite of that. The biggest letdown. This is the movie that we were excited about that just didn't do it for us. Um, I'll go first on this one. I was kind of between two. Um, I was between Star Wars and what I ultimately did pick, which was uh, my lowest rated movie of the year, my least favorite movie that I saw this year, and the lowest rated movie that we have ever covered on the podcast, and that is It Chapter 2. And that was also my biggest letdown. Uh, Because what a garbage pile this movie was. So dumb. I don't even want to talk about it. It's just dumb. If you want to hear more (laughs) thoughts about it, go listen to the episode, I guess, because uh, normally we cover movies that we like. And we decided to do an episode on It Chapter 2, anticipating enjoying it, because the first one really is quite good. Um, 
but goodness gracious, this movie is such a dumpster fire. There are almost zero redeeming qualities about this movie. The performances are fine. Uh, they do an equitable job with the script they're given, which is horrendous. Um, but good heavens, just like what a trailer, just trailer-sized pipe bomb this movie ended up being. And um, we discussed this on the podcast, but it comes down to uh, Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who uh, is the creative brain behind HBO's uh, True Detective, and also one of the drivers behind the, uh, like I said, quite good script of It Chapter One. He was kicked off the project. He was not a writer. He was not a producer. And I think that his influence, uh, the lack of his influence, rather, was uh, felt quite hard in It Chapter Two because it's bad. Agreed. I think I gave it a three. <laughs> I think yeah, you did. I think you did. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, my biggest letdown was Zombieland 2. I just remember going into it and like I really like the first one. It's fun and it's just kind of like stupid and it's just a mindless. Oh, it's pure joy. Yeah. It's just Zombieland a, 1 is awesome. Yeah, it's so fun. But this one like I we were probably a half hour into it and I was just so mad. That's the worst feeling. It, it, like I just kind of like turned to Austin at one point and I was like, this is not good. He's like, no, it's really not. And like there were just these just stupid characters thrown in who didn't end up doing anything and they were just really obnoxious and like there was no point to them at all. And like, things happened in the movie and like you know it was supposed to be like a big emotional hit but you just like you know they're not gonna die i was just so mad at this movie after we left and i'm still very mad about it like i said that's the worst feeling is when when you get 30 40 minutes into a movie and you're yeah. like oh no yeah <laughs> and you have to sit through it for another hour right or two well that's how i felt with it chapter two like if we weren't doing an episode on it chapter two i probably would have walked out of that movie um I felt that way again, and I, I always come back to this as quite possibly the worst movie I've ever seen, The Snowman. Yes. And we definitely should have walked out of that movie. We should have. Uh, I felt that way in episode nine, and I was extra disappointed because I went to like a 1045 showing, and I was like, shoot, I could be in bed. But it, here I am instead, and I felt obligated to stick through that one too. Yeah. But like that that really is just the worst feeling when you hit yeah. it and you're like, oh, I was. <laughs> just so annoyed and everything like you could tell when they were setting stuff up to come back later and then you could tell when like they weren't setting things up at all they were just like oh here's this super obnoxious person uh, they're not they don't matter and i just so mad about it i will say that it has one redeeming scene and it's like a long shot fight scene and that's it and the rest of the movie is a hot garbage fire all right so avoid it chapter two avoid zombie land two let's make original let's make original movies people let's do it um it's kind of interesting actually i think that the entirety of our top 10 are not parts of franchises which is great yay Sweet. yeah good um, okay, let's move on. Uh, last kind of uh, nebulous category. This is the lived up to the hype award. This is something that uh, was hyped up, that we heard was really good, and that actually was as good as we heard it was. What do you got for us, Becca? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, if you all remember, Andrew talked about this 
for probably a month before we went and saw it was very, on the podcast. I, I was very excited for it. <laughs> and we were all really excited about it. And it was fantastic. It absolutely lived up to the hype for me. Yeah, this year was uh, not a year of franchises, but a year of uh, really impressive directors making big statements. Mm -hmm. And so there were a number of... I feel like this was kind of the year of movies living up to the hype, right? You could have picked any oh, number yeah. of things, right? Um, I mean, there was uh, Midsummer, you know, following up Hereditary. There's uh, The Lighthouse following up The Witch. You have a Tarantino film. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously. Um, that's always going to be an event. Um, I read... Joker lived up to the hype. That's true. Joker, yeah. Um, I read a Reddit comment... Um, that I, I I really liked that was basically like um, Tarantino is like that with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino has kind of cemented himself into a group of directors along with, um, who did they say? They said Kubrick and no, what it was, this is what it was. I apologize. They were talking about Nolan and saying that if Tenet is good, that um, Nolan would put himself into a class of directors with Kubrick and Tarantino as the kind of people who just make good shit and don't F it up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's kind of a good point. The discussion, this is kind of a tangent, but the discussion for that was uh, they were looking at the top 10 grossing movies of the decade. And if you removed uh, animated movies from the top 10, because those always just kill it, if you removed animated movies from the top 10, Christopher Nolan had four of the top 10 grossing movies of the decade that were not animated. Wow. So people were like, yeah, no wonder Warner Brothers is just like, yeah, here have $250 million to make Tenet because <laughs> we're going to make a billion back. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, good job, Nolan. That's a comment on Tarantino, though, ultimately. that he's just He's in a class of director where like people are so confident in his abilities. And I have never seen a Tarantino movie that I didn't just love. So, and this was no exception. Uh, but to wrap it around to my point, um, oh, I guess even like looking back, like A Hidden Life, you know, The Return of Terry, kind of coming back to his more uh, uh, Tree of Life, New World, Thin Red Line style of filmmaking from his more, uh, I guess, fractured style that he's been in for the past 10 years. I think um, I would say every movie in our top 10, which we will get to, lived up to the hype. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Uh, my pick for this, though, is Parasite. Um, this one kind of took things by storm. I hadn't heard about it. Uh, you know, I kind of accidentally had enjoyed a bunch of Bong Joon-ho's films in the past. And then it just kind of skyrocketed as soon as it won the Palme d'Or. I don't know how to say that. The big prize at Cannes or Cannes or whatever. The big, It won the big prize at the big French film festival. Um <laughs> And I just instantly became very excited for it because obviously they generally pick very good movies. <laughs> um, well, and for a long time, hadn't we only seen the poster? Like yeah, even the, even the poster, like yeah. the, the trailer took forever to come out and the poster was so intriguing uh -huh. and just awesome. So that one for me, again, this will come up later, but it just absolutely lived up to the hype. Uh, Parasite was as good and better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, my pick for this uh one was endgame right that's what i said yeah okay um and i say that like i knew it was gonna be like a good one um but i just feel like it was such a perfect way for them to end uh just this culmination of the past 
10 years of movies. And I feel like they did it so well. They wrapped up so many of the storylines really well. Um, I'm just a huge nerd for anything Marvel. And I just, I loved it. And I think it was a perfect way to end it. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad that one of us put Endgame for Lived Up to the Hype. Because uh, it, it, it's not going to make the list today. But as far as just, I mean, I, everything that I said on the episode that we did on it still stands. A, just a phenomenal achievement as far as, you know, universe building. And again, we're hype on original movies and not doing things as franchises. But if you're going to do it as a franchise, like MCU should just be your blueprint. Like the huge props to Kevin Feige for bringing the whole thing together. Uh, the Russo brothers made a very good film. Uh, the performances were great across the board and just what a satisfying ending to this journey of, you know, I guess what, 20 years at this point. When did Iron Man one come out? Uh, 2008. Oh, so, so 12 years, Yeah. but yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if there weren't so many amazing movies this year, Endgame would be much higher on my list. Like I really love that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that is the last of the nebulous categories. Now we're getting to straight up best. And uh, some people couldn't make decisions. So uh, there are a couple of categories that have multiple uh, nominations. And that's fine because this is our show. We can do what we want. Um, Sid, why don't you kick us off? This, this category is the best performance. We're not differentiating between actor, actress, supporting, not supporting, whatever. Just performance overall, best performance. Okay, so I had a hard time choosing with this one. Um, this is not in any particular order, um, and I probably won't go into it too much because, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about them later. Um, so I have Florence Pugh for Midsummer. I rewatched it yesterday, and she is just phenomenal. I love her in Little Women, but I feel like this is a much stronger performance. Um, my other choice was Song Kang-ho uh, for Parasite. And for the folks at home, remind them which role he plays. He plays the dad of the Kim family. Okay. And he is in a lot of Bong Joon-ho's movies. He's fantastic. Everything that I've seen him in, I love. And he works really well with Bong Joon-ho. Um, and my last pick was Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. He is so good in that role. I can't even believe just how he pulled it out and just killed it. And the teeth really helped yeah um both florence Pugh and song king ho were huge front runners for me in this category as well um just uh, hugely impressed florence Pugh again had a kind of a breakout year she uh big three films she had were fighting with my family midsummer and little women i almost put fighting with my family to biggest surprise mostly because like that was the first thing i'd seen her in and i was just floored by her yeah and she just she just totally knocks it out of the park some of the things that she pulls off in midsummer are just absolutely astounding so and then song king ho uh, really specifically the latter half of parasite he he just really comes alive and uh it's 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 such a phenomenal screenplay for him to work with the way that um his character is so subtly set up for about the first hour 45 and then the last half hour is when he really becomes explosive and it is is just such an such an impressive performance a lot of restraint in the in the front half to have a lot of payoff in the back half so yeah i think with both him and florence Pugh, like i don't know they just can act with so much emotion so subtly and it, it comes across so well well and especially i think i think it's even more impressive when you realize 
these these actors that deal with these very linear character arcs, right? Where there's a huge buildup in the intensity with which they behave. Um, when you remember that movies are not shot in order. And so they're having to jump around this story and measure themselves as they go. And especially that's especially true. I think of Florence Pugh in Midsummer, uh, where she really becomes explosive again towards the, the last 20 minutes or so. And, um, just the, the restraint that she shows in the first half to have such a huge payoff in the back half is, is quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to go? Oh yeah. Um, my pick for best performance is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. And luckily somebody here picked a performance that could actually win an Oscar. <laughs> I know. He just makes that movie. I mean, I don't know. I just remember after we watched Joker, we, Andrew and I were just kind of like shocked to silence. Like, I don't think we talked for like 45 minutes after we watched Joker. I was kind of had to process it. And a lot of that is due to his performance. I think he does a fantastic job. And I don't think anyone else could have done it the way no, he did it's, it. No, it's, it's definitely very impressive. Um, yeah, he, I, he is that movie, right? Absolutely. Like, I think that's the... I, I think he's just an absolute lock, I guess, to preview next week. But yeah, I think he's a total lock for best actor. Yeah. I just don't think anybody I'm else totally has a chance. I'm totally okay with that. So, all right. Uh, my pick was also a, a two-way tie. Um, I also chose Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. Uh, just what a transformation. Uh, I think that especially with this, the Safdie brothers have really cemented themselves as a force to watch. Um, just the performances they're able to get out of people. And that's not to say, I guess like getting a, a really good performance out of Robert Pattinson, I don't think is the most difficult thing in the world because he's really very talented. Um, and Adam Sandler is, is really talented as well in dramatic roles as well. Like in, if, if anybody's seen him in, in any of his other dramatic turns, He's very good in Punch Drunk Love and Meyer Witt stories. Yeah, like he can do the dramatic acting, mm-hmm. but just a total transformation here. And I, I was listening to the A24 podcast. They did an episode with Paul Thomas Anderson and the Safdie brothers, and it's, it's a joy to listen to. But um, they kind of had an offhand comment that I didn't realize, um, but he's he's wearing prosthetic teeth mm-hmm. in the movie. And like just what that does to transform his face and how he leans into that. But like you can't tell his voice is very clear um, and just just an absolutely electric performance that that speech at the end that he gives uh, Kevin Garnett. The this is how I win speech is just that just floored me. Just absolutely incredible. Um, and then my other pick for best performance. Um, and this, this probably is my best overall performance, but I couldn't not talk about Adam Sandler is, uh, Sassy Ronan from little women. Uh, Very good. again, just absolutely floored oh by her gosh. in that movie. Just, uh, we'll come back to it, but good heavens. Just like her little monologue at the end. Yeah. Phenomenal. Oh and, gosh. and the way she carries it throughout, um, I mean, all of the performances in that movie are absolutely phenomenal, but, um, just what a what a treat that ended up being um so she that's i think that's my overall best performance of the year but i really just i i could not bring it down between her and adam sandler so i i had to i had to do a tie but i think that if i had to pick she would be my number one um let's see here we go best score um i guess i'll kick this one off uh my choice for the best score of the year is midsummer um, the, the music plays just such a heavy role in that film. Um, everything from, uh, you know, that, that opening sequence of her family 
and the the really chilly strings and then bringing it in as soon as they get to um i just lost the name of it what's the place sweden not sweden the like community itself oh. as soon as they get to sweden whatever um and we get that uh, just the phenomenal photography and the the color palette and everything and the the folk songs start to come alive and you hear the people walking around playing the the like i said the kind of the more traditional songs that's all part of it as well to uh just the climax of the movie the the very end and just absolutely phenomenal um ari aster has a real talent in helping his collaborators uh choose the correct music for the ending of his movies um originally i wasn't as hot on the ending of hereditary i liked everything up to it i've really come around on the ending of it i think it's it's quite appropriate and specifically the music i think was a huge part of that for the ending of hereditary and the ending of midsummer just becomes so overwhelming with how loud and emotional the music is and it brings in all of these themes uh that were previously explored by other songs and it's just such a complete experience listening to that uh that score I would agree with all of that. I also chose Midsummer as my uh, pick for best score. And yeah, I think the thing that did it for me is the strings, really. I was listening to a bunch of scores earlier today to decide which was my favorite. And that score, just as soon as you hit those strings that, like it's the scene with, um, that shows her family in her, in their house. Yeah. They've just died. Yep. That does it for me. Like it's fantastic. As it's soon so good. as that scene and that music hits, it's all over. Like it's so good. Yeah. Amen. And then the music just continues to like perfectly fit the mood throughout the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's quite an achievement for sure. And I also thought it was interesting as I was listening to the score that um there were a lot of parts in the score that included uh Florence Pugh's voice or like her whether she was like talking or screaming or yeah whatever and like that was like considered part of the music and I thought that was really cool that that was in there and yeah. very fitting absolutely what do you got for us um I put Joker um again I, finally somebody picking one that could actually win yes, an award yeah. <laughs> one that actually got nominated um and I think is a front runner honestly oh yeah it, I mean yeah. it won the Golden Globe um I think, like, looking back to the movie, I didn't particularly... Score is always really hard for me. It's hard for me to um, just kind of pay attention to it while I'm in the movie and to remember it afterwards and how it affected the feeling of the movie. But today I was listening to just, like, a a mashup of, like, the top, you know, like, the all the movies, the scores uh, that were nominated for best score this year. And just like as soon as Joker started, like I felt like I was back in the movie. It's just, it's such a dark and gritty sound, but it also sounds very emotional. Um, And I just, I feel like it does a very, very good job of putting you in the world of Joker. Great. All right. um, We're going to leave what would be the next one for last, I think, because that's kind of our best picture. So, um, production design. Uh, I was talking to Becca and Sid before the, the show. This was initially brought on last year just as a means to praise the favorite because the production design for it last year was so freaking good. 
And it's kind of funny over the course of the year, it's become one of my uh, more hotly contested awards kind of uh, I, I keep track of all the movies that I watch and I kind of do little rankings of them as I go in different categories. And this has been one of the more difficult ones for me to decide on this year. It's been, it's been a great year for production design. I think that um, we'll touch on the uh, ones that I found to be the strongest. Um, the one that's not going to get talked about by any of us is the lighthouse. Uh, but the, they built a lighthouse. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Uh, so uh, Becca, what's your pick for, production design um i picked midsummer again I'm i guess it's gonna keep picking midsummer for sorry things. for those who who uh, are listening to this and don't necessarily know what some of these are production design is like set design like the design of the production of the movie so uh mostly like set design is kind of the big key part of that so mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a little bit recently on our other episodes about Uh, production design and movies that are mostly filmed outside Uh, and Midsummer is mostly filmed outside but there's just a few set pieces in Midsummer that are just amazing specifically I'm thinking of the giant yellow barn oh my gosh yeah like I don't know that's just like so like iconic to me for Midsummer oh absolutely it's such an amazing thing to see, especially in this field where it's just like all like this green field and everybody's wearing like cream or white dresses. And then there's just this giant yellow barn. And even like how far away from everything it sits. Uh-huh. And, like it, 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 and it's it does not a weird, explained. Yeah, it does it's a weird perspective trick uh, for being so far away that like it, it automatically takes on this kind of importance because it stands out the color palette and is it's so far away that it's just... It comes off as magical right from the moment you see it. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole production design of that whole um, community does a really good job of bringing you into the world and into the story and understanding what's going on. Um, and the other piece I would say would be the main room where they all sleep. Oh and my gosh. Yeah, all the paintings. Yeah, yeah, all the paintings that they show, all the like tapestries and paintings and everything. <sighs> it's just amazing. It's yeah. just like makes that movie and then also the cliff yeah i was yeah. just gonna say you had a stupa the cliff like <laughs> yeah yes it is outside but they had to make changes to it and they put like all the tablets up there yeah and, uh, yeah and that's another i think yeah just like iconic piece from that movie is thinking about that cliff and what that means to yeah, the movie for sure and watching it you know a second or third or fourth time and when they get to there and, oh, and yeah. your heart just drops yeah uh, Sid. Um, so my pick for this uh, production design was Parasite. Um, so I took um, a film class this last semester and I saw Parasite shortly after we had talked about production design. So it was more on my radar, but I was just floored by all of it. It was just done so well. And at the end of my film class, I wrote like my last film analysis on Parasite and I looked more into, um, like, the choices they made for the production design. And, like, one of the um, the key factors that went into the, the Park family's house, the Rich family, is there's a lot of, like, stairs and vertical objects to kind of represent um, the hierarchical, hierarchical 
nature. Hierarchical? Hierarchical. I don't know that. I don't know. I'm obviously not a part of the hierarchy, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah. We can say sub-basement. <laughs> <laughs> I could say that for sure. Um, and so, like, that really shows, like, how the it's, like, all about the Kim family just trying to climb climb the the hierarchy and um comparing it to the the sub-basement and um just this gorgeous architecture of this rich family's house i just the production design is so good well and it's even more impressive because it's not a house it's a set that they built from scratch they didn't yeah it wasn't just like made there so yeah uh parasite was actually my runner-up i think that uh the way that and everything that I'm going to say about Parasite is true about my pick as well. Um, the way that the the production design uh, acts as kind of a character and uh, uh, a storyteller in its own right. Uh, the big, huge windows of uh, the Park family's home compared to the tiny little window of the Kim family's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the verticality of, of all of it, of moving from house to house and you know going up and down stairs and uh, the way the rainstorm is handled and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, geez. Uh, but my pick is actually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and mostly for the same reasons. Uh, the way that the the production design plays a role in the telling of the, the story. Um, it's one of those things that it, 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 it seems so natural that you have to kind of take a step back and realize like this was shot in 2019. And it, it, you're just in a gosh darn time machine to 1969. Like everything looks so right Mm -hmm. nothing is out of place and you think like you know this is not what hollywood boulevard looks like but they were able to bring it back and and uh you know even the the interior of the houses specifically rick's house um it's all just it it plays such a heavy role in the storytelling that i i couldn't pick anything else yeah these three were tied for me honestly for production design i think they're all amazing yeah uh parasite was my runner-up and midsummer was my third pick so (laughs) there you go uh moving on uh cinematography um sid you and i have the same pick here so we can just chat uh sid and i both picked the lighthouse uh for cinematography what are your kind of what's your reasoning there i guess um so at first i wasn't like too sold on lighthouse i was kind of choosing between lighthouse and 1917 mostly just based on the the one shot um that they were able to achieve and the the one sequence that we talked about in length (sighs) the lighting yeah fantastic (laughs) um but so i ended up with lighthouse i kind of struggled with it because um like the the academy loves black and white movies and i love them too but sometimes I kind of wonder, like, if it's just like, oh, we're going to choose this one because it's, you know, it's black and white and it's cool. Um, and, like, that's not to say that they're not good because Roma is fantastic and it's gorgeous. But I think it was more the aspect ratio that really sold me. Such a good choice. Yeah. It just, it feels so claustrophobic and, but it also kind of feels like you're just, like, kind of watching, like, almost like a photo album. That's like, such a good way to put it. Like, I just, there's it makes you feel so many different ways watching it. And yeah, like you, like you feel like you're in there with them because it's claustrophobic, but you also kind of feel like you're just observing because it looks like photos and. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Especially there's a number of shots. I think specifically there's that shot towards the beginning, just of the the two of them standing there. Uh, There's the shot of when he, I guess these are spoilers, but um, when he finds the mermaid, Mm -hmm. uh, that shot is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, 
but just even the way things are framed and uh, I just recently rewatched the lighthouse uh, last week um, and the, the way that like you said the aspect ratio takes a role in the storytelling and um, how often the lighthouse itself is used in the background as just this looming character um, and how thematically appropriate that is um, just the uh, when you don't have color to work with contrast becomes even more important and it's just such a crisp movie um, just a really really phenomenal it's not necessarily like a lot of camera acrobatics but um, my follow-up for this actually my my number two choice for this was actually parasite though um, I watched that last night and it really really some impressive things going on there so Becca what's your choice my choice is a hidden life it's first appearance on on today yeah I I love this movie but I think the cinematography is one thing that made me love it as much as I do because it, it just does such a good job of like bringing you into the story and making you feel like you understand the space and understand what's happening and like like I felt like I was a part of the story almost sure. or like I was like like transported into that place and I think a lot of that is to do with the cinematography. And then again, like just the color palette of the whole movie is just breathtaking. And it's just amazing. I love it. Great. All right. Um, we're getting there, people. We're almost done with our bonus categories here. Um, actually, I forgot. There's one more kind of nebulous one, uh, which is the I wish I saw category. Uh, this is just movies we didn't get a chance to see that we want to. So obviously we can't talk to in detail about them. Uh, my pick for this is Waves. Uh, it's uh, by Trey Edward Schultz, who directed It Comes at Night. Um, a very different turn, as I understand it. It's a kind of a romance, um, but I just think he's incredibly talented, and I would be stoked to see anything that he did. I just didn't get a chance to this year. So that's my pick is Waves. Heard some pretty good things about that one. Yeah. I chose two um, that I think I will see, just I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, I'm sure that I will see Waves. I just mm-hmm. haven't had a chance yeah. yet. Yeah, no. Um, I wish I saw the farewell. I was really excited about that, and I did. Then I kind of forgot about it, and just yeah. And then it, it weirdly got shut out of the Oscars. A twenty four almost entirely. Yeah, which yeah. is weird. Um, and then also I've heard really good things about Booksmart, and I would like to see it. Great. They're both very good. I was actually uh one of the ones that was like on my short list for best score was Farewell. It's very oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I chose for this Pain and Glory and uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've just been hearing incredible things about it. Um, so very excited to watch it soon. Yeah, apparently Antonio Banderas is just ridiculous in Pain yeah. and Glory. I really want to see it before the Oscars. Yeah, I'd like to as well. Yeah. Um, and then Portrait of a Lady on Fire apparently is just like a I'm total tour. I'm so, so surprised that it, it didn't get nominated. Well, France didn't submit it. Oh, really? Yeah, they submitted Les Miserables. Okay. So that, that's why it is okay. it wasn't their submission. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but we do have confirmation that Criterion is releasing the physical edition of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh. So I'll probably Ooh. just buy it when it comes out. Yeah, I, I, I want that. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So uh, moving on, uh, our final and what I consider to be our most prestigious award, the Oscar that I think should exist, which is uh, Best Sequence Slash Scene. Uh, This is a section from a movie that stands out particularly. um, It doesn't necessarily have to stand on its own, but a sequence that you find particularly memorable. Becca. Okay. 
Um, I couldn't choose just one scene or sequence, so I chose many from two different <laughs> movies. Um, basically, just the last 20 minutes of both Midsummer and Parasite. I'm going to mention a couple specific scenes from each. So first, Parasite. I think Sid might take some of these as well. Uh, Spoilerific uh, Parasite right here, probably, because we're talking about the ending. So skip like three minutes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Basically, for me, I think the best sequence is from the minute the previous maid rings the doorbell until the entire family ends up in um, the shelter. Okay. So, like, all of that. It's, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, roundabout, yeah. But, like, that for me is just when this entire movie just, like, took a left turn. Yeah, it just comes alive. Just went crazy. And I could not stop watching. And I was just so invested. And I feel like a lot of it is really, like, symbolic. Especially, I think we talked about this a little bit. Especially when... um, the rainstorm it's so comes. metaphorical. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it is so metaphorical. <laughs> but yeah, just them like running back to their house. Yeah. Like all of that. It's just amazing. So that would be my favorite sequence from Parasite. All right. And Sid, that was actually your pick, right? Is that? Um, yeah. It, it's my pick is um, from like when it's just the Kim family hanging out and like, you know, something's coming. And, like, all I was thinking is that the family's going to come home soon and catch them doing all of this. And, and then it turns it just, out to be so much worse. It goes insane. And then they come home. So it goes from, like, them just hanging out to when they finally escape the house. Just that whole. I gotta say, again, I watched Parasite last night, and I've just been cra- craving ramen. That sounds really good. <laughs> I, I might go get ramen tonight. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's my favorite sequence. And then my other favorite sequences are from Midsummer, And I think the couple that I would have to pick is um, the dance competition for sure. Just that whole sequence is amazing up until um, probably the like lunch or whatever they have afterwards after she's crowned May Queen. Okay. Yeah. It's like up through that. And then just the last five minutes <laughs> yeah astounding yeah we'll talk about it later yeah uh for me uh my pick is the ending of the lighthouse uh pretty much from again spoilers spoilers uh where robert pattinson uh finally offs willem dafoe um and claws his way up the up the lighthouse and the the way that the 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 sound is manipulated and then to him falling down the stairs and getting eaten by seagulls and the the circular nature of the themes and all of that and how it brings it all home. Just that that whole ending is so riveting. Um, my second pick is like the last hour of Parasite. But <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> the whole movie. Yeah, I think my favorite sequence was all of Parasite. Just Parasite as a yeah. movie. No, but if I had to narrow it down to a specific sequence that really stuck with me this year, it would be the ending of The Lighthouse. Okay, and our final bonus category. This is the most boring one because it's a stupid choice, but whatever. Uh, we are all going to predict what we think is going to win Best Picture. And we'll talk about this more next week. It's kind of the point of the whole episode, but a little preview. One, two, three. 1917. Uh, it's a boring pick. I hope it doesn't win, but I think it will. The more I think about the mo- that movie, the more I honestly don't like it. I know I said I didn't love it on the podcast, but like, 
eh. I, I like I haven't thought yeah. about it much since. Yeah, same. It. it was it was the kind of thing that like I came back to do to finish up my ratings uh, this morning or my 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 rankings this morning, and it was sitting fairly high. And I was like, oh geez, no, these other movies are definitely better than this one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Those are our bonus categories. Let's move on to our official top ten. These are the top ten movies uh, of we watch movies and then talk about them for the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Uh, at number 10, uh, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit. Um, somebody who ranked this higher than me talk about it. <laughs> that was me. I think this is my number three. Um, yeah, I love this movie. I just, I'm in love with Taika Waititi and just like anything from New Zealand. Um, so I like already was predisposed to love it. Um, but just thinking back to like, Taika, he does such a great job of just making fun of some of the worst things that have ever happened um, and not, like, making it seem, like, less and less important or uh, less of a horrible thing to happen, but, um, like, he does such a good job of making Hitler look like a dick, which, <laughs> he, I mean, he already does in his own right. Um, I, I, Hitler does a pretty good job of seeming oh yeah. like an asshole on his own. But. Yeah, for sure. But Taika really takes it to the next level. Um, and just like, like seeing Taika and like he's got like the blue contacts in, like it's so unsettling and it's just great. And, but specifically for me is the the butterfly scene. I think that it's just uh, heartbreaking and like took my breath away and it was so shocking. And yeah. I just took you. Uh, such a surprise didn't expect it coming and i just i loved it Mm -hmm. i agree and i think one of my first comments after we watched this movie was i don't don't know to me it felt like a good way to keep talking about something that's really important to talk about in a way that's not going to depress me for the next three weeks Mm -hmm. sure and yeah i agree i love this movie and we have talked about it before it does have a very wes anderson feel to me that i absolutely adore yeah, and that was kind of the reason it didn't, it didn't place higher for me. I'm not here to bag on people's choices, though. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a very well-made movie. Uh, I was a little bit distracted by some of the stylistic choices, which took away from some of my enjoyment. The The comedy of it is very refreshing, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fantastically written. I think the directorial style um, is uh, bears a little bit too much resemblance for me to enjoy it to Wes Anderson. But it's a very well-made movie, mm-hmm. and Taika kills it as Hitler. Uh, <laughs> it's just such a weird sentence, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Did you, this is random, but have you seen like, um, I don't remember what movie it's from, but Taika took a, a clip from a movie about Hitler and they just like put in all these subtitles and it's all these like Nazi officers telling Hitler um, that a New Zealand Jew is making, a Polynesian Jew is making a movie about him <laughs> playing him and it's so funny. That's like an old <laughs> meme. Yeah. Of, of subtitling that because I know the video that you're talking yeah. about. I haven't seen the, the Taika version. It's And then just, Hitler just like loses his mind. Yeah. yeah. Go on Taika's Instagram. Find it. It's like a few months down there. Okay. It's incredible. I love him so much. Right on. <laughs> cool. Um, Becca, you might be the best person to talk to about number nine. You placed it higher than the rest of us. Uh, Joker. Yeah. And I've talked about it a little bit. Again, just with Joaquin Phoenix, like he really makes this movie. And I think it's it's done so well and it talks about very real issues in a 
super villain way, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in, a, in essentially a comic book movie. Yeah, yeah. And it it feels very, very grounded and very relevant. And yeah, and I think Joaquin Phoenix just really makes this movie. He slaughters it. He does oh, such yeah. a good job. Yeah, it's a very well-made movie. It's nominated for more Oscars than any other film, which I think is a little bit off. But in any case, it's quite a good film. Um, it fell... It fell a decent amount on my rankings. Becca, you had it at number three. Yes. For me, it ended up at uh, number nine. Mm-hmm. And Sid, you had it at number 10. Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely enjoyed it. I, I've waned on it a little bit. I'd like to rewatch it. I, I didn't get a chance to before today. I'm going to re- I think I'm going to watch it tonight. But um, no, it's it, 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 it's a really good movie mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that you're right. I think that it... Um, exposes some uh, really disturbing realities in a movie that like just everybody saw. I mean, Uh it made a billion dollars. So (laughs) yeah, that's nothing to, to, to skulk at. (laughs) So yeah. Any thoughts, Sid? Um, I think I do need to rewatch it. I feel like people's opinion on it has kind of tainted it for me. Um, I've kind of had a, I don't know. Just like seeing some opinions of other people has swayed my opinion of it. So I think I need to watch it again, kind of refresh myself on it. Because um, I really liked it the first time I saw it. But I think just over the past few months, like I haven't loved it as much. I would agree that like it seems off that it has 11 nominations. Um, but it's still a very good movie. Yeah, for sure. Great. Uh, moving on. Number eight. Uh, this is largely propped up by me, I think. I think I placed it quite a bit higher than you guys did. Um, well, maybe not. In any case, um, our number eight pick is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, this movie for a long time was very, very high up on my list. Um, it got pushed out by a few unexpected surprises, honestly. Um, but uh, this movie is just such a joy to watch and... Um, one of the more memorable, one of the more memorable experiences I had in the theater, um, as you know, somebody I'm, I I love listening to podcasts, reading about serial killers. I've, you know, watched everything I can find about Charles Manson, read everything I can find about him. Like not, not that I'm some like obsessive, but I find the story just absolutely fascinating. And so, you know, seeing Cielo drive and, um, as we wound up to that night and the narrator getting started, cause the narrator comes back into that point and talks about, you know, what Sharon Tate and her friends did. And I'm thinking, how is he possibly going to handle this? And I'm, you know, I'm thinking back to uh, kill bill and to, uh, you know, inglorious bastards. And I'm like, is he going to show them like cutting open Sharon Tate's pregnant belly? Like this is going to get, this is going to get bad. And then like that slow realization when Tex Watson bursts into Rick's home <laughs> and you realize that it's Rick's house and it's not, uh, you know, the Polanski house. And uh, again, just that like that sharp moment when I'm like, he's doing this. <laughs> and then that entire last 20 minutes ending with, you know, Rick flamethrowering. Uh, I forget which one she was, but the girl in the Sadie. pool. Sadie. Yeah. yeah. Good heavens. Just like just, as soon as Brad Pitt just chucks the dog Chucks the food dog food can. Yeah, oh that's what gosh. I was like. Because it, it's kind of, it, it builds really subtly in those last 25 minutes and then just jumps off a cliff. Because you get in and he says, you know, what's your name? And he's, 
I'm the devil. I'm here to do the devil's work. He's like, nah, it was something dumber than that. That's my favorite moment is when he's like holding up a finger gun. Yeah, he holds the finger gun back at him and it slowly builds. And then as soon as he chucks the dog food, it just... And then even when he's talking to the police afterwards, he's like, he was the devil and wanted to do devil shit. No, that's not verbatim, but... (laughs) (laughs) Just... And, but again, the... The way that Tarantino is able to make a film, and he does the same thing in Hateful Eight, he does the same thing in in, in Glorious Bastards, he does the same thing in Django. The way he's able to take essentially two hours of buildup and still make that riveting, and then have all of that buildup pay off in the last twenty to thirty minutes, it's it, he's just become an absolute master at it. And um, I I I loved this movie. I thought it was awesome. Agreed. I didn't mean to steal everybody's thunder there. I apologize. <laughs> I think that's, that's another one that could have been best sequence. Is oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that was, yeah. yeah. It was between Parasite and that ending. Yeah. And what an ending. It's just so satisfying. Yeah. And even like the, the tension of the, the spawn ranch scene, mm-hmm. the way that that builds up. And I'm like, oh shoot, are they going to do it? Mm-hmm. Are they going to kill him? No, they can't kill him. Like, and like the fact that it, there's just so much going on in this movie, but it, it, it's so fragmented and still comes across so focused. There's, you know, it, it, there's 20 minutes that's literally Brad Pitt making a joke when he's up on the roof and he has that entire remembrance of him beating up Bruce Lee and all of it for it to come back and him to say, huh, fair enough. <laughs> like He just takes a 20 minute aside to do that. Uh, the scene of Sharon Tate going to the movie theater. Um, I've really come around to love that scene and, and kind of what it represents in the story and um, how they use that to to build out her character and um, really, you know, show more about her. And, um, you know, the scene where we just watch Rick's TV show for 25 minutes. Like, it's just all of these little asides that are, are little pieces of a puzzle that come together at the end to just... Um, I mean, the movie ultimately comes down to be just... Um, I, I guess really about two things about a loss of innocence and uh, about friendship and just kind of the bromance that Rick and um, Cliff have and just kind of how beautiful that relationship ends up being at the end and you know how he how he takes what um, I think a lot of people including myself consider kind of the 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 loss of innocence of the entire United States which was you know the murder of Sharon Tate and kind of the uh, the whole Manson thing um, and changes that into a loss of innocence for Rick specifically realizing that he's growing up and, and that he has to move apart from his friend and how heartbreaking that is. But again, just how beautiful their relationship was and how awesome the ride was. And um, it, just, it, it communicates really tender feelings for a Tarantino film. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you guys that um, Austin's dad was Charles Manson's physical therapist what What? like in real life (laughs) yeah for like a few times not like for a long like months before he died what oh like in prison yeah okay yeah like so it wasn't like a oh that's charlie it was like you're going to be the physical therapist for charles manson yeah well so like so we were at thanksgiving dinner and austin's brother's like oh didn't you hear that dad like did work with charles manson and i just like my head like whips over to the side and i'm like tell me everything <laughs> but he said that like he like showed up to work and like everyone was like being all secretive and like oh yeah there's like 
a secret like you know we're not really supposed to say who it is and he like walked by and just like saw his face in the window and i was just like <sighs> oh my gosh and then he died in bakersfield which is a it's a good send-off for charles manson yeah dying in bakersfield <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great um all right number seven uh who wants to handle this one marriage story is our number seven pick um i can start i love this movie for a lot of reasons but i think the biggest one is that it's just able to capture reality so well and i love when movies can do that when they can tell like a story that you're interested in but it's really just real life and it feels like just a regular family and just regular people that sucky things happen to and i think that's why this story or movie the marriage story like meant so much to me is because like it just felt like reality yeah uh, really uh i mean and it's it's autobiographical so it makes sense that yeah mm-hmm you know, it would, it would feel that way, but really just, uh, incredible performances all around. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Dern is totally sweeping the, the awards. And I think for good reason, I think that her character plays a huge role in why the film is so successful. Um, but just Adam Driver and, and Scarlett Johansson and the, the, the chemistry they have while still arguing all the time is, is something really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember watching it. I, going into it, I thought it was kind of going to be, um those like i thought it was going to start with them dating and like kind of falling in love and getting married and the um you know just their marriage falling apart well and the beginning is kind of a pump fake for you uh-huh. in that same way yeah um but i think it it worked really well in um to just like start at the beginning of the divorce um and yeah like it is a very sad movie and you feel very sad during it but like also at the same time you can see this is what's best for the family and it it kind of shows that sometimes like divorce isn't this huge like i mean like yes he did cheat on his wife but like i feel like it divorce is portrayed like very absurd in movies and i feel like this is just kind of like very realistic where like she wants to be in la he wants to be in new york neither of them are willing to compromise so it just kind of ends well, and again, I, I've talked about this a few times, but this does a very good job of, of one thing over the course of the story becoming a totally different thing, right? And that it, like, that's really the root of their conflict, right? Is like New York versus LA, mm-hmm. but then how that spirals out into so many other things. And that just becomes kind of a, a, a wedge driven between them that, that, that divide grows yeah. more and more. Yeah. And just kind of spoiler alert. Um, they get divorced. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> Um, but just like at the end when he's reading her letter and it's just fantastic acting from both of them. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so good. And ugh. Criterion is also going to be releasing Marriage Story. Oh my gosh. Criterion, I don't have money for this. They're killing it. <laughs> um, okay. Let's take it from here. Uh, in no particular order are four, five, and six. Um, we'll just start at the one that I wrote down last, which is A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick. Um, I will also start talking about this movie. Well, yeah, because you, I think you definitely placed it highest, right? I think you might have placed it higher than me, actually. Oh no, I did. But... I put it at five, four, and you put it at five. Yeah. Um, this movie has grown on me more and more since we watched it. It it was really hard to watch, honestly, because it's like three hours long. It's very long. Yeah. And 
I was so frustrated for so much of the movie and it took me the whole three hours to like come to terms with uh, the main character's decision. What's his name? I forget. I don't remember. But it took me that whole three hours to come to terms with it and then like understand how it's relevant to my life. But I feel like this movie is super relevant and I've thought about it like every day since we've watched it. And I think just the themes of like making decisions and having responsibility for their consequences and like the importance of that in your life. I don't know. I feel like they really hit home for me and like that on top of the cinematography, the acting, the color palette, the music. The, the editing the is, is editing, a big one absolutely. for me. The editing and the, the sound design and the, yeah. the sound mixing are just uh, really carry that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like all of it came together to make me, just like really feel for this couple and this decision and understand the importance of it and like start to think about what things in my life I would be willing to die for. Like what decision in my life would I be willing to die for? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So very impactful. I mean, I won't, I won't say too much and then I'll let Sid speak her piece. Um, I can't say too much because I'll just keep going. I told Becca after we walked out of this one that I felt like we could do five different, podcast episodes each oh, yeah. about a different theme in that movie because it's just so much going on uh really phenomenal uh, welcome back terry we're happy to have you i mean the tree of life is my favorite movie of all time and i think that that trilogy of thin red line the New world and tree of life is some of the most just incredible filmmaking that we've ever seen and terry's back with this one it's really phenomenal and and anybody who is a fan of of kind of terrence malick's mid-period work is not going to be disappointed here um just random the character's name is franz that's right um i will say that sometimes i was a little distracted that he also played a nazi in inglorious bastards Um, (laughs) that is true uh but also kind of going back to editing like there's a reason he was editing this for three years um and it's it's just it's beautiful it didn't end up making my top 10 um but it was still because honestly this year was a hard year for movies because there were so many good ones and it was hard to pick any like between any two um but yeah kind of going along um with themes like it's like thinking i'm like could i be able would i be able to do that you know um and seeing how like the rest of their village reacted to him and his decision like thinking back you know hindsight's 2020 you're like of course hitler's a horrible person this is the worst thing that could ever happen but back then it was like it it was to save their own lives was to go along with this and yeah it really makes you wonder like is this something that i would stand up for is this something i could do today if it happened yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, the next in our three-way tie for four, five, and six. Um, I'll take this one on. Uh, Uncut Gems. Holy crap. I loved it. Uh, Becca, you didn't place this one, right? Right. Sid and I did. This oh. was my number three for the year. Um, I don't know where... Where did it land for you, Sid? This was maybe my six? Uh, five. Five, yeah. It looks like, yeah. So for me, it was number three. For Sid, it was number five. Uh, what a freaking ride. 
Um, everything about this movie, the cinematography, the editing, Adam Sandler, the direction, the sound design and mixing is absolutely astounding in this movie. The number of scenes that are just people shouting over each other, but you still get a very clear picture of what's happening. And the, the, the mixing is done in such a way that you follow the character you're supposed to be following in that scene is, is really something else. Yeah, it's just a very hectic movie. Um, like, I feel very stressed out during it, but it's it's not so much that, like, I'm not enjoying it. Um, there have been other movies in the past that I've seen where I feel stressed out, but it's just, like, I'm just not having a good time. Straight up not having a good time. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that vibe. Um, but, yeah, I don't... I guess maybe, like, I wasn't entirely sure what was going on because, like, I don't really know the world of gambling. So... I kind of feel like I was more of a spectator where like I'm watching Howard and he's just like talking circles around everyone and he's making these schemes up in his mind and I have no idea like what the next step is for him but it's it's it was so exciting to like watch things happen for him and like kind of depending on his reaction depend like I could find out if it was a good or a bad thing you know um and just yeah like we said Adam Sandler's amazing Amen. The sound design is... Uh, it's it's so really good. something else. Yeah. I do think there's a lot of really good things about this movie. I just wish it was like 45 minutes shorter. Mm-hmm. And I think it could be. I mean, that's just a that's a disagreement that you and I have, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, I think the length is. really works for it. But yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I think the length really works to build up the tension. But also, at the same time, like, they could cut out a few things and it wouldn't really detract from the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree to disagree. Yes. All right. Um, let's go. I guess I'll bring up this one too because this is this is this high largely on my vote. Um, the Lighthouse is the other one that tied for fourth, fifth, and sixth. Um, this was my number two movie of the year. Uh, for a very long time, it was my number one movie, um, and it got pushed out by what is actually my number one. Um, this movie just. I, uh, Robert Eggers has this ability to transport you to a totally different time. He did it with the witch. He does it with this. Um, and he creates this totally complete self-encompassed world. Um, and th- the way that he builds up the mythology of the movie as we go, the way that the performances transform, um, the, the way that, uh, you know, we really don't learn anything about the lighthouse, but again, the lighthouse itself, where it is such a looming character, uh, becomes the less important part to this uh, really uh, fascinating dynamic between Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe and the way that their relationship evolves. And as we learn more about Robert Pattinson specifically and uh, the shifts in character that he makes and the way that his behavior changes and you realize how dangerous of a person he really is. Um, I love the uh, weird sexuality running through the movie uh, between Robert Pattinson and the 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 mermaid, but also between Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, uh, the, 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 the really strange relationship that they have and, um, the role that alcohol plays in this movie, the way it kind of unlocks different doors in their personality. And, um, again, nature playing a role, the storm time, the way that all of these things kind of coalesce to disorient you and, uh, confuse you. Um, and then I even like the way that it ends where you don't really get a resolution. It could have, it, it, it could mean any number of a million things. Um, but it's just such a ride. And, um, again, just the way the movie carries you through that. It feels so, 
uh, weightless in a way. Uh, and Sid, you mentioned this with the cinematography, the aspect ratio, how claustrophobic the whole thing feels. It's just, it's, it's really, I think it's, a, I think it's a complete and total achievement of filmmaking. It feels like it's been teleported from a different time. And, um, I, these are the kind of, I guess everything from here up on the list makes me feel the same way, but it, it's just the kind of movie that makes me excited that filmmaking as an art form exists and that we get to exist at the same time as things like this getting made. I totally agree. Um, I feel like this movie is like a fairy tale in like the oldest sense of the word. Like it, it, like you said, it feels so old and it feels like just this old legend that we're being told and it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on then. Um, number three, Midsummer. Amazing. I mean, I feel like I've talked about Midsummer a lot already. Yeah, these but, top three have been hit on a lot, so yeah. we'll. I guess we can't elaborate on them as much as yeah. we have in the past, but we're and we're just I, ranking at I, this point. I mean, we have two episodes on two of them. That's true. That's so. true. Yeah. So go listen to our episode. <laughs> yeah, Midsummer is incredible for all the reasons that we've talked about: mm-hmm. uh, score, production design, the acting, the directing, all of it. Mm-hmm. really something else and then just like the design of it like i feel like it's a very similar setup to parasite and lighthouse and maybe this is just like a storytelling tactic i guess but where it just like is this great movie and it's really really good and then the last 20 minutes it just goes crazy totally goes off the wall yeah, yeah. and that's how yeah parasite midsummer lighthouse mm-hmm. uncut gems kind of mm-hmm. yeah so, good storytelling. Absolutely. Um, Sid, I feel like you were the the only one that was a true believer from the start on our number two pick, and I this was. is hugely surprising for me that this is our number two. I cannot I'm really believe this. Excited that it's number two. Me too. It's cool. Um, our number two pick for movie of the year is Little Women. Yeah, so this is one that I've been excited about from the beginning. Um, I don't, I've never seen any other Little Women adaptions. I don't know anything about it. So I was kind of going into it blind. But number one, you got Timothy Chalamet. I am there. My ass is in the seat. All right. <laughs> you don't need anything else. But she kept adding Greta Gerwig's a director, Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, like Laura Dern. Like you couldn't. Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. Meryl Streep. Freaking. Right. I, Meryl Streep has a bit part. Like. <laughs> Meryl Streep's dog. I, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet again. And we've just completely forgotten to mention Emma Watson. Emma Watson. She's there. She's very good. And she is yeah, good. I wanted to say, because I remember you, you mentioned that you didn't love Emma Watson's performance, but I actually, I did. Like, it was very think, subtle, but I thought she acted it really well, and yeah. I thought her character was really important for the I, story. I think it's more not that I don't like Emma Watson, but I just don't think that they... She's just not a very central character, mm-hmm. so I didn't feel as connected to her. Um, but just everything works so well with this movie. The the way that um, Greta rewrote it, so it was kind of jumping back and forth. I thought that oh, was such a good choice. Such a good choice. I think it is ridiculous that she wasn't nominated for best director. Um, just the performances are fantastic from everyone. Um, I'm grinning and crying through the whole movie. And it's 
it just hits me right in the feels. Yeah, this this hits way hard, way higher than I anticipated it doing. Um, which is what a uh, what a completely and totally beautiful ode to. Um, I mean, coming into it as a big man rather than a little woman, I think that I I see it from a little bit different of a perspective. But uh, it's just such a beautiful ode to family in general. Um, I think that there are a lot of specificities here for sister to sister relationships, but I was able to uh, pull out a lot of really, uh, I guess, meaningful moments just for having siblings in general and family in general, and not just family, but uh, community and the extended family that you develop with people who aren't in your immediate family, uh, the relationship between, um, you know, the two families is, is really spectacular. And I guess a lot of this comes down to the book itself, but the way it's portrayed here is, is really very, very special. And, uh, the different personalities that each of the sisters had, um, I felt like I was able to kind of abstract each of them to people in my life. And, um, you know, use different scenes to understand them better. Um, and then the, the ending, the probably the last 20 minutes are just really quite phenomenal. Um, and like I said, just really, really beautiful. This movie is all heart. Uh, there's clearly a ton of love going into it. And I really hope personally that as the years go by, that this is one of the movies that we continue to talk about because mm-hmm. it really is something special. And yeah. I think that Lady Bird, I was more lukewarm on than a lot of people were. Uh, but this really puts Greta Gerwig on the map for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Very good. one more quick thing. I just love their commentary on on marriage, especially, especially um, Florence Pugh's monologue on how marriage is an economic choice and Saoirse Ronan's um, monologue at the end, just talking about women are more than just marriage, but marriage is an important thing for for some people yeah. and feeling loved is very important yeah mm-hmm. i would and love I, i'd love to do an episode on this oh yeah movie at yeah. some point yeah i was just gonna say along with that i loved emma watson's line about we talked about this about like what she say just because my dream is different than yours doesn't mean it's unimportant yeah yeah and i love that that yeah. idea phenomenal all right here we go folks if there's any number surprise one. number one this was the number one pick for all three of us Every one of us picked this as our movie of the year. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yes. What more can we even say? I mean, we have a whole episode on it. (laughs) There's a whole episode on it. We've talked about it this time. Again, just the kind of film that makes me excited about film. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I keep forgetting that it's foreign. Like, Mm -hmm. that it's not in English. (laughs) I read an interesting point about this movie that, and what it would mean... If it wins Best Picture, which I would love to see, obviously. Um, But the idea that um, and and why it would be better for this to win than it would have been for Roma to win, um, because not only would it be the Academy really acknowledging a foreign film as the best film of the year, which I think that there have been plenty of years where that's the case. um, But the idea that art can be exhilarating, that you get something that is so artful, so well put together um, and in a way different from something like 1917 or Ford v. Ferrari, which are also nominated, right? The idea that you can have this incredibly artful movie with, uh, you know, we've talked about the production design, we've talked about the cinematography, we've talked about the editing, um, all of these elements being done to such an extreme uh, level. And just the idea that art can be this exciting and this rawly entertaining 
would be it, it's 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 so phenomenally well done it's it's rare to find a movie that's this exhilarating and uh blood pumping but that also has so much meat to chew on mm-hmm. yeah everyone complains that all the movies that get nominated for oscars are these art house movies that are just slow and uh dialogue driven which this it, this very much is a dialogue driven yeah, art house movie but it's so enthralling and it's entertaining there's funny moments yeah it's you know just like as bong put it himself as once you get over the one inch boundary of barrier barrier of subtitles you'll open up a new world yeah um honestly highly very very highly recommended if if you're looking we did an episode on this uh, a while ago and this movie had not come out yet but if you're looking for a gateway into international cinema this is a great choice oh yeah fantastic and that's our pick for movie of the year bong joon ho's parasite yeah. i'm not disappointed at all nope. me either i think it's i'm very happy with our list i think it's great it's solid it's a great list. year uh to recap here number 10 jojo rabbit number nine joker number eight once upon a time in hollywood number seven marriage story number six a hidden life number five uncut gems number four the lighthouse number three midsummer number two little women and number one parasite um becca has to walk out the door but really quickly i want us to each uh talk about or just quickly go over our individual top 10 uh so becca your top 10 are um number 10 honey boy nine jojo rabbit eight once upon a time in hollywood seven the lighthouse six marriage story five a hidden life four little women three joker two midsummer and one parasite okay and sid uh number 10 joker number nine once upon a time in hollywood uh number eight marriage story number seven toy story four um number six uncut gems number five end game number four midsummer number three jojo rabbit number two little women and number one parasite Okay, and for the kids at home, my list is number 10, Honey Boy. Uh, kind of disappointed we get to talk about this one. It's really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, Joker. Number eight, Marriage Story. Uh, number seven, Midsummer. Number six, Little Women. Number five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number four, A Hidden Life. Number three, Uncut Gems. Two, The Lighthouse. And number one, Parasite. All right, folks. It's been a year. That it has. Um, we'll be back for one more recap episode next week where we'll go through all of the Oscars. Uh, but we want to thank all of you listeners out there for sticking with us. Um, this is really fun for us to do and we appreciate that people actually care enough to listen. Um, we'd love to hear about your, uh, top movies of the year as well. Um, you can email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or slide into the DMs at facebook.com slash wewatchpodcast, Instagram at wewatchpodcast. Uh, those are both monitored pretty regularly. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, and we're stoked to talk about the Oscars next week. Yes. From all of us here, we watch movies and then talk about them. We love you. We thank you. My name is Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.